This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. Our guest is Dr. Mark Tuttle, Head of Pathology Informatics at Henry Ford Health System. Dr. Tuttle is a member of the CAP Education Committee, the ASCP Informatics Council, as well as the API Leadership Council. He has extensive experience in anatomic and clinical pathology, laboratory information systems, digital imaging systems, computer networking, mobile computing networks, as well as computer-based education. We're going to be talking about informatics. What exactly is informatics and what does it mean in the context of digital pathology? How will digital pathology systems be integrated with existing laboratory information systems and how will this differ from the analog model of practice? What will workflows look like? What are the complexities? What are the dangers? What are we most likely not thinking about? And of course, what are the barriers we face in making this all work? This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. J.A.V. Advisors. Well, Dr. Mark Tuttle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and interest in digital pathology and informatics. How did you get interested in this? And maybe tell us a little bit about your journey in going digital at Henry Ford Health System. I got interested in computers really when I was in medical school. And when I went into pathology, I realized that the pathology laboratory is highly computerized, and even at that point in the 1990s had very sophisticated computer systems and just found myself very interested in how we would use that information technology. And then really probably what drove me towards digital pathology was the fact that pathology does so much photo documentation. And of course, at that time, it was all being done with film cameras, usually 35 millimeter high quality Nikon or Canon cameras. And it was tremendously laborious. And at that point in time, we already had consumer grade digital cameras. So I started to work to purpose them to be used in the pathology laboratory, particularly the autopsy suite, which we digitized at the University of Vermont in the mid 1990s. And then when I came to Henry Ford Health System, one of the goals that Dr. Zarbo, my chairman had for me was to deploy information technology throughout the laboratory and to help use that directly in the pathologist's workflow. This idea of using information technology in a particular business realm is what we refer to as informatics. So informatics is not information technology for its own sake. It's the use of information technology to accomplish a job, to solve problems, and to do it in a way that is highly efficient, well-planned out, and well-coordinated. I came here in about 2002 and the first thing we did is we got computers onto the pathologist's workbenches because they had no computers in their offices. And once we got computers on their workbenches, we very quickly got them digital cameras that they could use attached to all of their microscopes. And that was really the beginning of our digital pathology journey here, as well as how informatics really allows us to use this technology because what informatics really looks at is the workflow processes 
and all of the planning around how we're going to use information technology. And by the way, that includes visioning the future, planning for obsolescence, keeping the lights on. In other words, making all these things continue to work. Let's face it, when you have a microscope, your real problem is really a light bulb or electricity. And frankly, you could use the sun. But when you start to use a computer, you're using digital cameras. There's a lot of things that you need to plan for, and that includes storage, networks, etc. A lot of that resonates with me. I mean, just on a personal level, I was a trainee in pathology in the late 90s. And when I started the training, you know, everything was purely analog. We were taking pictures with an analog camera and creating Kodachromes and then projecting these Kodachromes on the screen in the uh, carousel. And then by the end of my training, everyone had, uh, all the residents had a desktop computer and we were taking static images. And I think that also highlights the idea of digital pathology or the idea of digitizing these images has been with us for a long time, 20 years, 30 years, or even more. And now we're kind of seeing the evolution of that. Yeah. Right. And then you also brought up informatics, which I think is intuitively, we know what informatics is, but kind of what's hard to wrap our minds around, or at least for me, is what that looks like in the realm of digital pathology, where it's clear what that means in terms of, you know, the clinical lab, where you could say, okay, your serum sodium is 145, your hemoglobin is 10.0, and, and informatics is a way, you know, we need to get those results to the clinician who's going to be treating the patient. But what does that mean in anatomic pathology? What we're talking about is an image, which is basically our view under magnification of a sample from a human being, and then a diagnosis, which is at some level just the opinion of a pathologist. So how does that turn somehow into information? You know, you're really describing the idea that in the digital pathology world, which consists of both whole slide imaging devices, but also static images, it's acquiring the images, first of all, then we transport the images, and that can be done by sneakers or by networks. So by sneakers, I mean someone walks the images down the hall to you <laughs> on a stick, which is the way we did it in the 90s. And then we got networks that could move these images. So the first thing is acquisition, and then the next part of this is transport. And both of those are informatics activities around what I would call baseline digital pathology behaviors. Once we can actually acquire and transport, then ultimately, of course, we want to do next is store them. And so storing digital images, of course, requires infrastructure, storage space, terabytes of storage space, particularly if you're going to do whole slide imaging. What that allows us to do is to literally replace transporting glass slides by moving digital pathology images instead. And the informatics piece of that are all of the subcomponents in between, from the computer that acquired the images to the computers that store the images to the computers upon which the images are viewed. And in fact, this is the boring part of the story because what is really cool is what we can do with those images after we've acquired them that is just beyond transport and looking at them. In other words, we can analyze these images and there are now tools that can be used that will look at pathology images and accomplish a wide variety of analytical opportunities that you really can't even do with the human eye. That's in general how I conceive of digital pathology is that 
there's many applications. And starting off, I called these secondary benefits. So that is the ability to collaborate with someone from a distance remotely, you know, rather than FedExing glass slides, you know, not having to be going by sneakers, as you said, down to your storage closet where you keep all your slides and blocks, really facilitating that process or then recalling images if you need to present them for tumor board if you get a call from a clinician say oh could you look at my biopsy results again and tell me what did you miss this or tell me what you think it seemed to me like those benefits were not enough to move the needle which is maybe why it's taking so long to go to a fully digital approach you know and then there's workflow aspects where after you've developed the ability to digitize your images and get all your pathologists to sign out the cases just using their monitor, right? How do you create workflows and triages to get the right cases to the right pathologist at the right time and then get the right diagnosis informatically to where it needs to go? And then, as you suggested, is the future, like everything that this is going to unlock, namely predictive and prognostic capabilities where we can mine information from those rich images to develop tools and to be able to guide therapy in ways we've never done before. Absolutely. And that's really the key to this all. And what we have to realize is that we don't get to start running like we always do in life. We have to start by crawling and then we walk. And so crawl was when we started to take pictures and move them around on thumb drives. And walk was when we moved the, the images around on our own local networks to provide for uh, tumor board review and things that were adjunct. They weren't necessarily being used for primary diagnosis. But then we started to be able to use these images for support diagnosis, consultative diagnoses for things like frozen sections, still within our own network. But what we can see is we're now building up telepathology. And once we have networks that allow us to accomplish that at much wider distances, we have true telepathology. But all of that is still just that good old basic primary pathology type work. It doesn't include all of the things that we can do by looking at the cells, by imaging the cells, by actually counting cells, we now have the ability to put multiple different dyes on a single cell and the computer can resolve those dyes differentially in the tissue. And so this is called multiplex whole slide imaging or multiplex digital pathology. And I think now the, the last paper I read is someone put 16 different markers on a slide and the computer could segment those markers and could tell you which ones co-located, which ones didn't co-locate, what cell types they were in. It's just fascinating because we can't do that as humans. And we've all had the experience as pathologists where you put up a slide and you look at it and then you put up the next slide and you look at it and then you go back and forth between the two trying to mentally do this. Well, now we can do this with the computer in incredibly sophisticated ways. The use for quality assurance and over-reading slides, in other words, looking for features that might be difficult to pull out of a slide, micrometastases in a breast node, lymph node, something like that, is something that the computer actually does very readily right now. And so the applications of machine vision, and people call this various things, it's machine learning, it's machine vision, it's artificial intelligence. They're really all just different words that describe the same behaviors. But these behaviors can be organized really in a couple of different ways. One is quantitatively, we can use the computer to count things. And the other is qualitatively, we can use the computer to identify things. And that includes matching a, t a tumor type with a tumor type and computers do that very well right now. 
It's actually looking at desmoplastic tissue. Computers do that very well right now. Counting is a given. Counting mitoses, counting cell types, counting immunohistochemistry markers. What really hasn't been done is to get these opportunities, let's put it that way, to put these opportunities into a workflow so that they can be invoked by a pathologist at their workstation as they're doing their work. And this is really what the grail of digitizing all of our pathology will lead us to. Because once we have it all digitized, now we will be able to evoke plugins or different types of applications right on the screen while we're looking at something that can actually look at and analyze that tissue. But that has not really been well done yet. Right now, it's like you bring up your digital pathology image, you work with it, and then you might take it and push it over here to this program that would give you some image analysis capabilities or some quantitative capabilities. There are very few devices that have this integrated directly into the whole slide image viewer, for example. I see. So a holy grail end-to-end -end solution, I think, is what we're envisioning at some point in the future, rather than a piecemeal patchwork system where you can pick and choose what you like to use. And we're here today talking about workflows, but you brought up an interesting point that there's things that computers or machines do better than human beings, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can allow humans to focus on other tasks and really elevate our game, so to speak, on the whole. But is there a danger of human beings being replaced or certainly diminished in the process? Yeah, this question always comes up when we talk about whole slide imaging and image analysis. There's always going to have to be a pilot sitting in the plane. The autopilot does a great job. It flies the plane most of the way there and most of the way back, but you definitely want someone watching what's going on. So the pathologist now moves from someone who has to do every granular detail of the review of slides to someone who actually is now more of a conductor of the review of these slides. The replacement opportunity is unlikely to happen. I mean, first of all, we don't have enough pathologists already. I don't think we're going to be getting fewer or more rather, and we have more work than we've ever had. So in fact, this is like the automation lines that get used in clinical chemistry. If we didn't have them, we wouldn't be churning out results because we don't have med techs. So we needed the automating capabilities. And I think we're gonna find that digital pathology works the same way, that the pathologist is really the pilot who is running the slides through the system. And then there are decision points in any of these analyses that will need to be made that can only be made by a pathologist. So someone has to decide that we're gonna do a molecular analysis of a particular region of this slide. Now the computer may point it out to you, but the pathologist is the one who actually has to verify and select that particular field, or maybe even the markers that are going to get used, studies that would get ordered based on what you see. So there's plenty of work to get done with image analysis and artificial intelligence it's going to require a lot of effort on the part of the pathologist. That's my take anyway. Could that point us towards an optimistic future where we're going to enhance the role of the pathologist, where the pathologist is going to be somewhat of the maestro or the conductor, you know, and really function more as a high-level physician, really saying, first of all, here's how the diagnosis and all the ancillary studies for your patient need to be handled, and we're in the best position to interpret the data and relay this information to you, the clinician, to make the best treatment decision for your patient. So you think that this may allow 
elevation of the role of the pathologist. Pathology may not have been given its due respect in the past, maybe looked at as some kind of low-level technician where they're just spitting out lab results. So can this enhance the profession of pathology? Yeah, I think it does. And suffice it to say, pathologists have always been front and center in particular parts of the world, certainly in oncology and oncologic surgery, where we're doing frozen sections and helping assess margins. It's becoming even more important for pathologists to be involved when we start to talk about molecular pathology because there's so much information out there and there are so many variant genes. They aren't all the same and you really need a molecular pathologist to look at that. So when you look at digital pathology and whole slide imaging as part of our workflow, it really once again brings the pathology and the pathophysiology front and center to the process of disease. And so I think not only are we going to be more valued because our contributions to patient care are gonna be more direct, and they're gonna have impact on therapeutic choices as opposed to what we have been doing for the last 75 years, which is just saying, it's a zebra. Now we're gonna be saying, it's a zebra, it looks like this, it's got infiltrating lymphocytes, it's got these biomarkers, this suggests that this lesion is most amenable to this type of therapy. And so this is actually kind of a fascinating thing. You know, it used to be that pathology didn't really have any direct diagnostic implications. You have a, this kind of cancer, you get that kind of chemo. But now our immunohistochemistry tests are prognostic predictors of therapy. The same is true with our molecular pathology tests. And if you combine these with digital pathology, which is a given, you must do that, and with whole slide imaging, now we start to open up the details of how tumors and cells are interacting and what therapeutic implications there are. You know, PDL1 is a great example. We thought it was only relevant for one kind of lesion, but now we're seeing that it has broad relevance. And we've always known about the importance of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, for example, in breast cancer. But one of the things that digital pathology has shown us is how important the stromal reaction is to a particular type of tumor. And it now becomes part of the predictive armamentarium that we're providing to clinicians. So I, I really support that idea, Joe, and I think we're seeing it extensively. Now, the thing that I'm still waiting for to happen is for the next generation to realize how cool pathology is as a subspecialty. <laughs> We've got the best toys. We've got the most fascinating science. We have such profound impact on so many types of patients, whether you're in AP or CP or heme. Where are those people? So frankly, until we have that problem, I'm not really worried about the pathologist getting replaced because we need more of them. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. I completely agree. This is a great opportunity to bring more young medical students and aspiring young physicians into our fold, so to speak. And you brought up a very interesting point there where since the molecular revolution of, say, the late 90s, where, you know, it's a lot of anatomic pathology or 
oncologic pathology has been about targeted therapy. Now there's roughly, depending on how you count, 40 indications for a targeted therapy with a companion diagnostic, so we're measuring things. So we started off in breast cancer. That was probably the paradigm for that model where we test ERPR, HER2, and so on. And then other markers, we're testing things like CKIT, CD117, and other markers to match the patient with the therapy. But you brought up an interesting point is that could this be a second revolution or a renaissance for just the good old-fashioned H&E features. So TILS, for example, tumor infiltrating lymphocytes, tumor grade, the things where we used to measure just with our eyeballs through the microscope, but it is now there an opportunity with digital pathology and image analysis to create much better tools in that realm, not even necessarily having to rely on molecular. I think there is. In fact, at the uh, last Digital Pathology Summit that we did uh, live in Pittsburgh last year, it was pointed out by one of the speakers that the predictive impact of sophisticated whole slide imaging with image analysis and artificial intelligence will surpass the genes because mm. genes still have to be expressed and genes have a very elegant interaction with one another. I think we've finally gotten past the idea one gene, one problem, right? And then we've realized it's a whole dance. But the histology in the histopathology when analyzed with machine learning and with artificial intelligence actually reveals features that we wouldn't actually have picked up. And this example of desmoplasia is just right. one example. And as we start to look at how populations of cells interact with one another, which we know is an important feature of disease, whether we're talking oncologic disease or diseases of other etiology, it's just not one cell. And so whole slide imaging in digital pathology has the opportunity to look at the entire milieu. And by the way, there are other 18th century impacts to this. So for example, we don't need to use H&E anymore. We can color slides with H&E digitally. And these papers came out in the early 2000s. What hasn't happened is that no one has developed a true purely digital laboratory where we're actually using the computer to paint our stains and our slides as opposed to using histochemicals to paint our slides. But I predict that this will come to pass and it will be less expensive, it will be less obtrusive, and we will actually get things out of it that we would never get if we use our standard processes. One last example of that, and then I'll back off for a second, but when I was first explaining digital pathology to one of my science friends who actually did a lot of high-resolution imaging in a satellite, he was part of the spy satellite technology, and one of the first questions he asked me was, why do you destroy your tissue? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you fix it in formalin and it cross-links all the proteins right. and you can't look at it. <laughs> No. And I said, well, I've never thought about it before. And he looked at me and he said, well, I suggest you do for the future. Our processes are so 18th century still. All right, we'll call it the 19th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's incredibly fascinating if you think about it, because the workflows, and I think that's a good segue into workflows. For people who don't know, the workflow is typically, or, you, know, you know, in the analog process or the 1800s or the 1900s, as you said, tissue would come in, it would be grossed, dissected by a pathologist or pathologist assistant, put into the processor, processed overnight, then a dedicated group of histotechs will come in at four o'clock in the morning to cut those slides and 
mount them and stain them and make them into H and E sections for the pathologist to review when he comes in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And interestingly, as we move to digital, that legacy workflow has largely remained, right? Where you take that H and E using all the old-fashioned processes, and then you're just adding more steps. You're scanning it and turning it into a digital image. So it doesn't have to be that way, does it? I think that's an incredibly rich area to explore in the future. So in terms of workflow, maybe tell us what are the differences or things that we need to think about in the analog workflow or the old workflow and a digital workflow? It's a really good question. And of course, I don't think a lot of it is really well worked out yet, but radiology certainly offers us some clues. One of the things that we maybe have to start with is just the idea of distance. If you're walking slides down the hall, it's a lot different than shipping them across town or across state. You can walk them down the hall, but it's a pain in the neck to walk them across the state. So if you could move images, you'd move images. And if you could move images easily, you'd move images. And of course, we've got some cold water on that because the FDA has not been particularly friendly to digital pathology and has made it difficult to implement. And then there are also regulatory issues that have hampered the workflow, i.e. the fact that you have to sign out in a clinic, in a CLIA certified lab or place. And if that's your basement, you have to get your basement CLIA certified. This is not only expensive, it is not realistic. Both of those two things throw a lot of cold water on our workflow. But let's just assume we're in a workflow, we're CLIA certified, we can easily move stuff across town. Guess what? We do. We don't have to move our immunohistochemistry controls anymore. We move the digital pathology images of those immunohistochemistry controls and it saves time, money, and effort. We're just about to start to move our immunohistochemistry slides digitally as opposed to moving them because we ship these to hospitals all over the Metro Detroit region. And this will not only be efficient, but it will save a lot of time and effort and improve our turnaround times. So when we look at, when we look at the workflow implica implications of digital pathology and digitizing the pathology process, there are some basic things that you wouldn't even necessarily think about that don't mean you have to be doing primary diagnosis to reap a lot of benefit. And by the way, why did we go for moving our controls and moving our IHCs? Because they don't have anything to do with the FDA. We have to validate it, obviously. We make sure we're accurate. We do concordance studies, make sure that it's an appropriate behavior. But once we do that, we're not stepping into primary diagnosis from the FDA standpoint. And so it allows us to leverage a lot of efficiency. So once you start to do that, the next thing you start to think about was, how do I know what I have to do? Because right now, how does a pathologist know what it is that they have to do? The slides walk in the door and you look at them. Right. But if the slides come to you by computer, and the slides come to you by computer in a computer program, what's the notification? And so having workflow built into the laboratory information system or into the whole slide image viewer technology that indicates that your case is ready and it's ready to be reviewed and it's complete and the special studies are done are pieces of technology that are just barely being implemented right now. The only way our pathologists know that the IHC controls are ready for them to go and look at is that their IHCs walked in and they want to know if they can look at them because they need the controls. 
Hmm. Now, the moral of that story is the IHCs get scanned and they're there at eight o'clock in the morning and the slides all get put in courier and so they're not there till two o'clock and the controls are always there ahead of the slides. But this workflow process and having a work list is a really important part of the process. The other part of the workflow comes down to, well, who's in charge of the workflow? We make extensive use of our laboratory information systems, and that is where the pathologist does most of their work. It's where our grocers do most of their work, and our PAs, and even our histotechs. That's where they're cutting their slides. It's how they're reading their barcodes. Making sure that the laboratory information system is talking to the digital pathology systems becomes another really important part of the workflow. And so this is something that we did a long time ago. All of our digital pathology systems interfaced with the LIS so that you can move images back and forth. And most recently, we were able to launch whole slide images out of our LIS by launching the viewer. But we're still missing that work list piece. So someone still has to go in and say, okay, is it ready? Okay, looks like mm -hmm. it's ready. And of course, there's a lot of times you check and the slides haven't walked in the door yet. So interfacing and integrating between these systems becomes another very important part of the workflow. For us, by the way, digital pathology is way more than whole slide imaging. In fact, we've got about four terabytes of digital pathology images stored right now, and 90% of them are gross images because that's the bulk of what we want to image for people. We do a lot of microscopic slides as well, but this is all digital pathology and needs to also be integrated into your processes. Otherwise, you're over here looking at the gross image, you're over here looking at the whole slide image, and you go to another third place to do an image analysis. And this workflow needs to become a seamless suite of activities and behaviors that happen at the pathologist workstation. So let me stop there and see if that inspired any questions. <laughs> Absolutely, I like that. A seamless suite of activity. I think that's wonderful. And I think it is certainly uh, complex, but I think we have come a very long way in a relatively short period of time. Let's just touch on, as you alluded to, barriers to implementation and a lot of cold water possibly being thrown on the process. So what do you think is are really some of the rate limiting steps? You mentioned regulatory aspects. Certainly there's the FDA who's saying which slide scanners can be sold or marketed. And then there's certainly CLIA regulations, like you said, the facility in which you're allowed to actually do this work. You need a CLIA certificate in your basement or your bedroom. Interestingly, those barriers came down during this COVID pandemic. So I guess... Right. Do you think we're going to be able to keep those gains or do you think we'll revert to a more heavy hand of regulation? So where do you see the choke points or the what's really limiting this? Is it regulation or is it just our inability to keep up with evolving technology? Let me just separate those two things. I would say the regulatory barriers right now are twofold. One, CLIA, and that's really more oriented towards telepathology, right? So if you weren't worried about doing telepathology outside your institution or using remote pathologists to help render primary diagnoses, the CLIA problem wouldn't exist. But it certainly casts a lot of cold water onto telepathology in general, and it has really kept telepathology shut out to a certain extent. I do think that barrier will remain somewhat relaxed. I can't predict the future, obviously, but I can tell you I am personally and directly involved with conversations with both CLIA and CMS 
as well as the FDA relevant to the whole requirement of having a CLIA certificate and the location of where pathology is signed out in general. Radiology does not have this problem, by the way. But if we're flying a flying in the plane over the four corners out west, where are we? <laughs> You know, you're in front of a computer looking at a pathology case. And can you make a diagnosis is the only question. So I think that will go away. I have to admit, I have been fighting that battle for almost a decade and was very much gratified at uh, CMS's decisions during COVID. Relevant to the FDA, while that is a barrier and it certainly isn't helpful, there are ways around the FDA's approach because we can use laboratory developed tests to validate our own digital pathology whole slide imaging systems, and we can use them for primary diagnosis as long as we follow the appropriate rules to develop an LDT. But of course, people really want a turnkey solution, and that's why the FDA validated products have had such good success because you can buy them, you can turn them on, and you put them into place. Now, what that doesn't address, and this kind of gets to one of your questions, is what about when the monitor goes obsolete or it dies and you can't replace it? And that wasn't the FDA certified monitor that you have. And by the way, the FDA certified monitor is $8,000 and it's not as good as the $600 one that you can go buy at Best Buy. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of interesting technology problems just around the FDA's closed model. And in fact, many of these companies, including Philips, are working to open up the model because they've realized that there are places Henry Ford would be one. I don't want a closed model. I want to be able to use the technology that I can put in place and that I can be assured is going to have longevity. That becomes really one of the next barriers. And you kind of alluded to it, although I'm not sure if this is exactly what you were thinking of, but the life expectancy and the turnover time, the replacement cycle for these systems is of course huge right now. These are not like chemistry analyzers where they go for 10 years and they just go. In three years, the digital pathology systems that come out will bury what we have right now. So how are you gonna replace that? What is your plan to continue to roll over your technology? I don't know about you all, but we can't use lease rental reagent agreements. Uh, we can't use per click type technologies to create deals with vendors like you would lease your car and turn it in and get a new one. We can't do that with digital pathology yet. That to me is a real barrier that probably most people are just about to experience. You know, mm. it's, it's coming at them because they're three to five years in and right. the technology hasn't blown up yet. So you have to plan for that. And that probably means that you have to have a stable of these devices where Group A is rolling out, Group C is rolling in, and Group B has become the workhorse. There is that churn, technology churn. But all of that said, I think the biggest thing that I have really come across so far is the human resource problem. And that is having people whose job it is to do this in the laboratory that do not compete with what is happening with the analog model and this becomes really challenging if you just don't go whole hog into whole slide imaging and digital pathology because you're still living in both worlds. And so that's what we've been trying to do. And it's, be it's become almost impossible. The challenges of workforce in histology are a problem anyway. But when you add to that an extra task that doesn't seem to add value to your analog processes, people are not friendly to these ideas. So the places that have been most successful in digital pathology have recognized 
what we always recognize is it comes down to the people and it comes down to the organization of how you're going to do that work and having dedicated people that show up and that's what they do. They're imaging techs and that's what's happening at places that are successful for this. So that's maybe a little bit of a surprising answer. So I'll stop okay. there and let you react. Okay. No, I, I like that. Yeah. Dedicated people doing what they do best. I think that goes a long way. And a lot of moving parts and technologies evolving at a dizzying pace. So Dr. Mark Tuttle, thank you so much for joining us. Before we wrap up, let me just ask you, what excites you and where do you see this going in the next 10 years? The sky's the limit. I think that we're going to create better pathologic diagnoses. We're going to provide more insight to therapeutics than we ever have in the history of pathology. In fact, you know, I've heard people refer to the golden age of pathology a couple, two, three times. Well, you know, this is like the platinum age of pathology. <laughs> what really excites me is the way that we're going to be able to combine these diagnostic modalities that have profound therapeutic implications and I think it's going to help us start to uncover how we break the cycle of some of these diseases that have been so difficult to get around, like breast cancer uh, and lung cancer. And so I think it's just an incredibly exciting time for pathology and for people to choose pathology as a career. Platinum age. I love it. Well, Dr. Mark Tuttle has been our guest. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. I appreciate the invitation. Have a beautiful day. Oh, thank you. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.